Hi, this is Matt Mason from Palm NFT Studio, a scalable and sustainable NFT creative studio that works with great artists like Damien Hirst, DC Comics. If you want to stay on top of NFTs, stick with this show. Edge of NFTs is what's up. Welcome, all you NFT curious fanatics. Check out today's episode to learn about the biggest NFT drop ever and what the heck might be on the NFT floppy desk you get with it. How our guest got started in pirate radio and how it inspired him to make his way into crypto. And why De La Soul plugs one, two, and three is the foundation of our guest's entire personal operating system. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features guest Matt Mason, Chief Content Officer at Palm NFT Studio, a collective of technology, entertainment, crypto creatives, and art industry leaders. The studio provides bespoke creative services for artists and rights holders looking to establish NFT marketplaces and next generation work on Palm. At Palm NFT Studio, Matt is responsible for developing partnerships and creative strategies with artists, creators, and content owners who want to launch NFTs on the Palm chain. Is a senior executive with 20 years experience in marketing, strategy, product management, and content creation. He previously served as Chief Marketing Officer at Kraken, Chief Content Officer at BitTorrent Incorporated, and is the founding editor-in-chief of RWD Magazine, one of the UK's leading music magazines. He has launched and relaunched global brands and written a best-selling book on innovation, strategy, and culture, The Pirate's Dilemma. Matt, what a great, great bio we had to read for you. It's a privilege to have you here. Welcome to Edge of NFT. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, brother. We know you got a ton going on. So it's, it's amazing to have you here for this time that we do have you. And look, we want to reach back a little bit, start kind of from the beginning. You've been in the disruption game for a long time, man. You were, you were there at the early days at BitTorrent. Thanks so much for all those downloads, by the way. And, you know, how did your experience there and sense relate to you finding crypto? That's a really good question. Well, look, if you want to go back to the beginning, I should probably go back to, it's probably when I'm like, 10, 11 years old, growing up in London, there's a really big community of pirate radio stations in London. These are illegal radio stations, kids duct taping, scaffolding poles, construction poles to the sides of tower blocks and linking them up to turntables. And literally that's your radio station. If you're in a city as densely populated as London, you can get out to about 10 million people with about $600 worth of equipment. And it's really hard for the police to shut down pirate radio stations because you only need $600. And if you're putting on raves and you're doing advertising and people are paying your station to reach the 10 million kids that you can reach, you can get another $600. So there's this game of whack-a-mole. And if it sounds like a lot of things have happened on the internet, it's because it is. So I grew up listening to pirate radio, DJing on pirate radio stations, handing out flyers for raves, associating with pirate radio stations since I was 11 years old. And to me, I didn't know it at the time, but I just thought, this is amazing. I love all this music. I love all this culture that's coming out of the city that I've grown up in. But I love the business model. I love the mechanics of how we were able to do things. And the pirate station that I DJed on, the police were trying to catch us. They would knock down our antennas every weekend, but we always had redundant rigs on other tower blocks and we could just switch on, be back up. So they call us and say, look, like, we're going to hit you guys this weekend. Please just stay off for a few hours, make sure we're doing our jobs. So we would, and they thought they didn't raid our studio. They didn't put us in prison. They didn't treat us like criminals. We didn't treat them like police. And they, in the end, they started advertising. The police were advertising with us because we had so many listeners. And I'm telling you this story because I grew up thinking this is how the content industries worked. And I got a degree in economics. Then I went and did an internship at Warner Music, at which point I was rudely awakened to how the content industries actually were, our major label, whereas an intern, one of the things I had to do every month was go in the press room. This was 1999, so the internet's like not really hit all the music yet. And I'd have to take out all the files with all the photos of all the bands in that Warner had signed that they decided they weren't going to move forward. 
And I would literally go in this room full of photos of bands that signed like a 400,000 pound deal, sold their name, their rights to everything they do to, this, to a company, take all of those bands' hopes and dreams, their bios, their photos, everything they thought was going to magazines, put them in the bin. Whoa. And that was it. They were done. And so that was a different oh. way of operating from Pirate Radio. And to me, it was like very clear at that point. It's like, okay, this isn't, things need to change in the content industry. And that's sort of, and I know enough that I'm not a technologist. So that's where I started on this journey and ended up starting a music magazine with a music website that became one of the largest, the largest music magazine and website in the UK, because it was telling the story of the music that was coming out of Pirate Radio. But we just got lucky. We saw that that was where things were going. It was grinding, it was dubstep. These things were going to eat the world alive. We got lucky with that. And I wrote the book, The Pirates Dilemma, to kind of outline how do you think about piracy as a strategy? How do you think about decentralized frameworks? And again, got lucky because people were asking, this came out in 2008. People were starting to think about this is a problem that we're facing on the internet. It's an opportunity that we're facing on the internet. It was a prisoner's dilemma, which is sort of the, the time of the book. And that's all led me to BitTorrent. And, and I guess that's when I became really interested in, at least I understood what the new technology was then. It's like, okay, we can change things if we start to think about organizing in this way. This is the way that BitTorrent was architected. looked to me like a lot like a bunch of kids putting scaffolding poles on the top of tower blocks. It's the same thing, right? Peer-to-peer. It affords a different set of what come, come at this from. It's like, this is about creators. This is about making, how do we as a society decide to make culture? Who gets to say, what that is and how it starts and where it comes from. And I think we've all seen in the last few years, many examples of why lots of centralization that's happened in web two has been bad for society and bad for the way we create and disseminate culture. And what I hope is happening with NFTs is that that's starting to change. And it really, for me, it's the web 1.0 dream of the internet, right? It's the like, it's the Tim Berners-Lee type vision of the world, which seems wildly optimistic now, but I think NFTs can get us back there. I think so as well. To clarify, like, so you're coming out of that, you're coming from this decentralized world that is BitTorrent. When did crypto hit your radar? And it makes sense that it would Mm -hmm. align with your vision and your core values of of what content sharing could be. But how did it arrive there? How did it even get into your vision? It was was at BitTorrent. I think the first person I spoke to Bitcoin about was probably Bram, Bram Cohen, the inventor of BitTorrent, who was at BitTorrent the whole time I was, and he's still a, a dear friend. But yeah, I remember talking to Bram about it and just, and we were talking about it internally. I, I remember thinking like, should we integrate this into the platform that we're building for artists? And we did it because we had a limited amount of time. So, well, everybody really wants Stripe and PayPal. This Bitcoin thing's not got that many users yet. All right, let's do that later. Which is, a, you know, it's how you should make product decisions. But when I look back at that now, I'm like, we should have done that. We should have done that first. We should have just gone all in on this. And we didn't because that we were trying to build, we had 170 million monthly active users and we were trying to make things as easy as possible for them. That was the, the first time I heard about crypto. And then I think as things progressed a bit time, he was really realizing that it wasn't the record labels that were going to hold us up. It wasn't the major studios, wasn't anybody in the world of content. Because actually everybody in the world of content wants things to change just as much as, one thing changed just as much as we did. It was more about, it gets into like credit card companies, payment processes. And that's when you really start to hit the number of, okay, the, nothing's going to change until we change how we do finance. And that was the, for me, that was, I was like, okay, like DeFi is really, I'm not going to fix the problem I saw as an intern in the Warner Music press room until we have, until DeFi has scaled. And that's, I think, what led me to Kraken. That's why I really wanted to go and do that. So let's fast forward a little bit to NFTs and how you first heard about NFTs and when that aha moment occurred for you about its potential to solve this problem around web 1.0 not being what it could be. I was late. I feel like I was super late to NFTs. It was probably January or February of this year that I first, well, actually, wait, is so when I was a Kraken, we did a project with Dapper Labs. We made like Kraken customized crypto kitties. I just wasn't calling them NFTs yet. I was working with Benny, Jang, and the team at Dapper, and I, I love what those guys have built. Nothing else in space for you without them. Yeah, we just had Vicky on the show, and they got the yeah, NFL yeah. as if NBA wasn't enough. No, the deal they did stay with Brad. And I'm, again, Brad, Trevor McFedger is like another amazing company, amazing founder. I, like, yeah, this space is just so many really smart people. But at Kraken, when we were 
we did this first project with CryptoKitties. And I remember saying to everybody on Leadership Group, they're cracking. I'm like, look, I'm not being funny. These CryptoKitties, like I don't, you lot are DeFi like specialists. I'm not. These CryptoKitties, this is the only thing I understand that we're doing. This is how we, this is going to be the MP3. This is what the MP3 was to the PC. This is how you say, oh, okay, this is why crypto is important. And we didn't do much else with that for a time. We just had a million other things going on. But that was the first time I was like, this matters a lot. This matters a lot more than these kittens and the people buying this idea is, is huge. And then it kind of just like, it didn't really, crypto kitties came and went and crypto winter dragged on. And I got, there was a point in it was like 2020, I was super disillusioned with just thinking, we're never going to do, like, we're not going to do this. Like Facebook and Netflix and Spotify and these giant silos are going to keep inhaling all of the power and activity and attention in the creative industries. And then right at the beginning of this year, so many people were saying NFTs, NFTs. I was like, and I was just like, no, like I've tried to <laughs> I was just so, so, so disillusioned. I felt nothing works. And then at some point it's like, oh no, I think we're doing this. Yeah. Friend of mine called Vector Meldrew, he's an NFT artist. He was also, he worked on Rewind with me back in the day. He was the first person that really told me about he was like, no, no, I think this is the thing you've been trying to do. Like, this is it. I'm not like, no, it's not. We're, no, we're never doing it. It's like, and then eventually he sort of convinced me and we started working on an NFT project together. And that's when Dan Heyman, that's when I got introduced to Dan Heyman. There's the chief strategy officer of Consensus, a man named Simon Morris, used to be the head of product at BitTorrent. And Simon pinged me and was like, hey, can you, do you want to talk to, to Dan? He's got this new NFT thing. I'm like, yeah, no, all right. And then I spoke to Dan Heyman, who's the CEO of Palm. He's super smart. He's worked on each one and two, leading the largest team in the world, working on each two, uh, a consensus. And when he told me what he was trying to do in his vision, and then I met his brother, David Heyman, who's the third highest grossing film producer in history, producer of all the Harry Potter films and many others. Joseph Lubin, obviously co-founder of Ethereum, Joe Haig, Damien Hurst manager. When I met that team and heard what they were trying to do, for me, I've never seen a team. It's either been I've either worked with content companies who don't really understand tech or tech companies who don't really understand content. And Dan and Joe Lubin, plus Dan's brother David, plus Joe Hay, these people are operating just at the highest level in their fields. And it's a 50-50 mix of creative and tech. And I've never seen a team like this. And I was lucky enough that they asked me to be employee number one at Palm. But to me, it was, it was the right team, it was the right tech, and it's actually the right time. And, you know, none yeah. of us have really slept since. Yeah, but it's been. I, I've had a. I've had the best career. I, I. I think you could ask for in terms of being able to do what I love. But I've never had an opportunity like this. Nothing has come close. I want to ask you about that kind of career trajectory. We love the idea of disruption here. We love the uh, idea of like moving quickly. It's a really fun space to be in. I feel like it's like what you were doing when you first got started with pirate radio. It's like when the rules don't exactly make sense, right? And the people that are sort of willing to at least bring that to everyone's attention and push the boundaries a little bit. It's a scary territory, but it's it's such an important part of our evolution. So you've, you know, sort of worked in kind of the more disruptive areas and you've talked a little bit about working of the sort of less disruptive areas. So you worked at Sony, right? <laughs> Where you're heavily enter, into the sort of entertainment influence on things and the sort of established area. So how does that kind of having worked in more established genres and workplaces integrate into how you can approach things nowadays? I think this, all the things I've been able to do mean that I can, I can speak several languages as long as you understand them in broken terms estuary English. Um, but yeah, like in terms of, I might have to talk to a film producer or a record label executive or a solidity developer or an executive director, a nonprofit, and I know kind of how their world operates and the incentive structures and the environment in which they exist and just talk to people, which is what I'm, I think that's what most of a job like mine is about. It's just knowing how to talk to people because there's lots of different groups of people from different cultures and different professions and backgrounds that don't know anything about NFTs or developers who don't know anything about what a film studio or a game studio necessarily needs from an NFT. Yeah, and trying to get everyone to the table and come up with a you know a vision that makes sense to everybody uh, has been I, I don't know I don't know if I appreciate it at the time always, but everything in life I've done has taught me a little bit about how to interact with a group of people that maybe I didn't interact with after in, in a different way or whatever. Yeah, NFT is definitely one of those spaces where 
a lot of people from places that don't normally interact are coming together, right? And that's why people like you are so powerful. It's not just that you can sort of go into this space and speak this language and go to that space to speak this language, it's that you can sort of bring people together to the table and say, I know you're, you're almost like a translator in effect, right? I was able to watch some of the content, the video about the Damien Hurst, uh, the currency project, which is it's really awesome. And it, it was fun to see him kind of wrestle with his own project talking about how, you know, he has NFTs attached to his physical artworks, you know, and the artworks eventually that don't get claimed as physical objects are going to be burned and the artworks that remain, the NFTs will be burned, right? (laughs) And he's like, I don't even know how to, him, you know, the person who made the project is like, I don't know how to wrap my head around this. If they burn all my artworks, I might just feel terrible about it. But if they burn all the NFTs, why, why would I have even done this in the first place? Like, what's the point of the whole project? And so you can see even somebody Mm. who's such a, so well-versed in, in art, right? He doesn't, even understand the system. He needs a translation. He needs people to come together with and, and, you know, know how to talk about it and do it. I think I don't know three of the most powerful words in the English language. And so you have to be really brave to say those words out loud. And Damien Hurst's really good at that. And with this project, especially, he's been very, very transparent. So I have no idea what's going to happen. And he's, you know, he's as interested in it's everybody else to see which way it goes. And we've like, you know, that sort of Beginner's mind philosophies, I think it's something we've really tried to instill in ourselves. A palm, it's quite, I think it would be easy in the NFT space this year. If you happen to be one of the few companies that can, are actually building projects, it's a weird space, right? It's like it's 1997 and there's like 20 companies that can build websites and everyone wants to build a website. That's sort of how it feels in terms of all of the people coming into the space and the deals flow and the interest. I've never seen anything like this from the content industries. And I think it would be easy to get a bit of a big head about that. But I don't know anything about NFTs. No one at Palm NFT Studio knows anything about NFTs. <laughs> and as long, because we just started, right? It's like saying you know about the internet in 1997. You've got no idea. It's 1997. You know probably as much as anybody, but no one knows us around the corner. Tomorrow we are starting will be probably the largest, it's going to be the largest distribution of NFTs in history, DC Comics. It will run into the millions of NFTs, possibly tens of millions. It's not clear. We're prepared for the best or the worst, and how you look at it, but that's going to change things. Like we are approaching this moment with NFTs where suddenly you're going to see projects with tens of millions of NFTs that are geared around fan engagement more than, you know, things like we've seen with QuickSight Punks or Damien Hurst, where it's like giant market caps that you're measuring in billions or fractions of billions. Most NFT drops aren't going to be about that. You know, I think we're still going to, we're going to see trillions of dollars in market activity, sales at Bonhams and Christie's and wherever that pie is going to continue to grow. But as a proportion of the overall NFTs as receipts, as fan engagement validators in one form or another, it's going to be like 1% of the market. That kind of worries me. Like one of the things we try to remain mindful of here is that we're doing a lot of big projects like the project with DC that are going to have game changing implications for NFTs. And we're trying to make sure that we are collaborating with the crypto artists that make this all possible, the collectives of developers and communities that have done really ambitious, really cool crypto art projects. I want to make sure those communities get monetized. I've been, I've been a part of too many subcultures where the people inside things never made a penny off it. And there's going to be this bifurcation in the next year of right now, crypto art and NFT is the same thing. And at some point they're going to become different things. You know, like the, the audience for DC Comics, we're going to try and get a Batman NFT tomorrow. Half of them aren't going to have a MetaMask wallet. Most of them, we're already, our support channels are already Half, it's people probably saying, like 80%. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> half a percent. Already we've had our Discord today, DC fan, what's an NFT? Yeah, you know, nice. like it's a different audience. And honestly, they don't, the word NFT probably is going to disappear the way the word cyberspace did, right? Because at some point it's just something that people do. It's just a cool it's a Batman thing or it's a social object from this franchise or it's a concert ticket that continues to add, get value after the concert somehow. And you don't right. need to know what crypto is. Yeah, it's just the wrapping that, that brings it all together, right? It's funny, earlier we were talking about the, the Space Jam drop as like the biggest, right, NFT mm-hmm. drop, 91,000 NFTs. Now you guys were really associated with that as well, right? You'd work with uh, Nifty and what did Palm NFT Studio do there? We designed and created the actual NFTs themselves. Oh, wow. And then we collaborated with Nifty's on the, the mechanism for how they'd be delivered. And then Nifty's 
Nifty's did the whole sort of site design, drop them on nifty's.com. But yeah, that was a, that was a sort of true collaboration with the, the Nifty's team who are just one of the best teams in the business and, and we have just really great crew. So that was mind blowing to us. <laughs> 91,000. Yeah. We're like, holy cow, it's crazy. You know, because projects here or there, 10,000 plus or minus, right? For a particular drop. It was actually, drop. I think it, it was actually just under 200,000. 200? Oh my God. Yeah. Or it was, so like 180 something thousand free and then 12,000 people bought one for 399. Do you know what's crazy? The craziest stat on that project for me, 95% of the people who got an NFT, they didn't have to do this. So tick the box saying, I want more emails from Warner Brothers. And I've talked to people from Warner Brothers. I'm like, what is less exciting than email from Warner Brothers? Like, <laughs> so right. we, you know, tomorrow, like, we don't know how many people are going like, to try and get free DC NFT, but the 95% conversion rate worries me. That's massive. And there's all these numbers about NFTs. It's excited and terrified to find out. Like the BitTorrent with music, we used to do a lot of giving or give away an MP3 to get an email address. Because for most record labels, an email address is worth $4. So if you're selling that MP3 for, you know, 99 cents on iTunes, give it, give it to the fan and, and they'll get, you'll get $4 back from them over the entire time that you're in a relationship with that fan. The NFT is a director fan emotional connection right there in the piece of content. It's not your email address. It's different. And th there's no best practices yet for NFT CRM, customer relationship management. But I know there's going to be entire conferences on NFT CRM. We talk about this a lot. Oh, like, uh, it's so interesting to hear your perspective on sort of this type of stuff. Let's jump into the DC comic project. I'm sure it's been on your mind day and night for several weeks now. What's the scoop? How is this project special and different? Mm -hmm. Our listeners will be hearing this after the drop has occurred. How can they get involved? What do they need to know? Yeah, I think the headline is, yeah, this is the start of something. As we, it's not just, and I'm not just saying that because it's one of the largest NFT drop in history, et cetera. Things will keep happening. will be the largest NFT drop in history. If you're a DC Comics fan, this is very specifically the start of something very ambitious that I can't say too much about. The DC Comics is doing Palm NFT Studio. The NFTs themselves are memory devices. So you can see from the artwork that you've got Batman, Superman, Green, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. You've got characters and famous DC covers on the front of these memory devices. The common version is a floppy disk. The rare version is more like a mini disk. And then the, the legendary version is this kind of artifact from the future storage device. All I can say is the question fans should be asking is what on earth is on these devices? Mm. Is there anything on these devices that could lead me to find out? Do you have eight track? Is there any yeah. eight track cassettes? <laughs> That's not it's a good idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Working with DC Comics and their history, it's got to be so special. Just briefly tell us, like, why did they choose Palm? They're, what was the differentiating factor? Because they can work with anyone in the world, right? That's a really good question. I don't know is a short answer, but I mean, we were we were working with Warner on Space Jam. David Heyman's obviously, he's had a relationship with Warner Brothers since 1996. And we were in conversations with, with DC before Space Jam, before Damien Hurst. And it was right after the Damien Hurst drop. I got a call from Tony Shin and Don Paletti at DC, who've just been two of the most incredible people to work with. And the team over there is just amazing. Like Jim Lee, the chief creative officer, everybody there, just one of the most collaborative, one of the easiest teams I've ever worked with and just a pleasure to collaborate with. But yeah, they called us and said, look, like we love what we've seen from you guys. Let, we we want to work together. Let's come up with something. And they gave us a brief for all of the things that they were thinking about doing with NFTs. And we, Whoa, we yeah. came back to them with some thoughts on how we might do that and how we might start. And we kind of went from there. So I, I can't say too much about what's coming next. So it's just kind of a, you know, so it's a long-term partnership. And uh, I think the thing that helped was everybody that they spoke to, uh, Palm, like we're huge fans of these things. Like The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller was one of the most, as a, as a kid, like, Few books touched me like that. It was just so, it made such a lasting impression on me. I mean, things they've done that we were talking to them about, like a death in the family where they had, this was in the 90s, they had kids calling a 1-800 number to decide the fate of Robin. And of course they killed Robin. <laughs> and again, like that was a moment that I was, I was a kid when that happened. I remember that I had death in the family in my bookshelf behind me. Like we're just fans. And I think every company that we're working with, every kind of big deal we've landed, we can't talk about yet. It's been the same thing 
like as a team, it's just something we've wanted to do. And we've had lots of people approach us, giant, really cool opportunities, but like, look, we don't really get, this isn't us. Like we, we're not about this. And some things we just haven't done. It's a weird moment with NFTs as well, because there's like this land grab going on and there's lots of competition. And I know we compete with other side chains and L2s and stuff, deals. And some of them we go hard after and some of them we just don't because I think it, this sort of scarcity mindset, you know, for me, it's the opposite of what this should be the technology is about. And then I just think about something like this. There's 40,000 companies in New York City that are registered as advertising agency and advertising agencies are doing fine. There's less than 20 side chains or NFT companies or whatever. And it's like, there's more stuff to do than any of us can possibly do. And there's a bunch of brilliant people in this space and I think they're all doing great, but we need like 10 times the amount of, we need competition. We need people in this space. But yeah, so it's, for us, it's just like picking, picking projects where we're like, you know what? Like we really all want to work on this. Yeah. We'll be excited to work on this for 10 years. Let's do it. And DC was absolutely one of those projects. It sounds like a little bit of a domino effect. And I think we've seen that too. It's just kind of, it, there's these like little streams of energy that happen within the NFT space. And it's actually interesting how people come together because they're not always the folks that you would think, right? It's just a, a little bit out of the ordinary collaborations and connections. And it just matters what passions people have, right? Or what they're excited about. We have like one last quick question. I'm going to ha- make you deliver it quickly before we yeah. enter our quick hitters, which is also quick. We always like to know what forthcoming NFT projects, platforms, and ideas you're most excited about. So I know this might be hard, but just give Mm -hmm. us like three quick sound bites of like things to watch out for. And then we'll head on over to our personal questions for you. Yeah. Things that I can talk about. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, DC obviously is the top of mind. Don't know if that counts. And stuff outside of what you're working on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, one thing that we are working on just behind DC just as game changing is a project coming with a big game in November. I can't say much about anything about, I've already said too much, but beautiful is going to be amazing. What about outside of a palm? Like, what are you excited about? I really liked what TikTok and Immutable did last week with Lil Nas X and everyone. I just thought it was super clean and it was nice to see a social network do something like NFTs. We have similar plans with other social and anyway, we've been thinking along similar lines with another company. And it's just nice to see that connection being made. I was really excited about the announcement of Dapper Labs acquiring Brud today. Trevor McTrader is someone who I know personally and just always looked up to as an amazing talent. And to see that company fold into Dapper, I'm just like, and the way they're thinking about DAOs, which is something else we've, some, we've been working on our own DAO internally at Palm. So we can't use the word DAO. It has to be a collect, has to be a creative collective. Like stop using all this jargon. If you're trying to reach artists, because they know they're terrified of all the scripts. <laughs> but if you talk about collectivism, everyone's like, oh, okay, right on. Nice. You know, like George always said, never use a $10 word when a $2 word will do or a two cent word or comment. But either way, he was right. So that was nice to see today. And I, I can't wait to see what that team does around DAOs. Yeah. I don't know. There's just so many cool things. That's coming great. Out week. You hit about three. Matt, we wish we were here with you for three hours, but we know you're short at test. So I know, I know. Yeah, no, sorry, dude, we could talk about this stuff all day. Yeah, really appreciate it, man. So let's dive into some edge quick hitters. All right, they're just a, a quick way to get to know you a little bit better. 10 questions. We're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but you know, feel free if you to expand if you get the urge, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, let's dive in. Question number one, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? My dad bought me a Sony Walkman and I needed to buy some music for it. And it was 1988. I think I was 10 or 11 years old. I bought the album Three Keep High and Rising by De La Soul. Oh, Because nice. it had bright colors. I liked the cover. I did, and I'd heard one of the, me, myself and I on, on the radio. Awesome. But that album was the foundation of my operating system in terms of that it made me understand remix culture. I've never heard so many samples. I remember the first time I, uh, I put it on and turned it on in the back of the car on the way home from the record shop. And I, I mean, I might as well have been taking like, the hardest drugs in the world, the way my brain <laughs> was going, listening to that music. I can hear it in my head right now. That's an awesome track. Yeah. So many good tunes off of that album. Um, question number two, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? First thing I ever sold. That's a really good question. It might have been like a bicycle or something, like something like that, where I don't know. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. 
a lot of folks don't remember. Sometimes it's candy. Sometimes it's uh, stuff from their family or whatever, right? So all good. Mm-hmm. Let's go to question three. What is the most recent thing you've ever, you purchased? <laughs> That's also an equally difficult question. What is the most recent thing I purchased? NFT. I, so the most recent NFT I can remember, I don't know my, I'm like every day it's like Christmas day out here with Amazon boxes or whatnot, but the most recent <laughs> NFTs that I bought were, I think I bought four or five of the creeps and weirdos from the Dada collective. Nice. And I don't know if you know the Dada, the Dada, the art collective. Tell us about it a little bit. Yeah. So between CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties, there was a project called Creeps and Weirdos, which was the second kind of big NFT project. But it kind of got lost in history a little bit. But Dada is just this amazing group. You should get them on the show. I can connect you if you want. But yeah, yeah Judy, Beatrice and Sparrow, the three ladies that I know from, from Dada are just like, every time I talk, there's just certain people in life, like every time I talk to them, I feel richer for having spoken to them. They're just some of the... They're those type of creative geniuses where they're just like so warm and smart and generous with their time and their thought. And yeah, but Dada was, was like one of the original kind of old school NFC projects and the Creeps and Weirdos drop they did was they brought back Creeps and Weirdos, which they kind of, they'd stopped selling because they were tired of like all the speculation. I'm telling the story badly. They can tell it better, but they decided to make them available again and they're going to do a secondary market. On Palm, but that's not why I bought them. I bought them because it's such a cool project. It's a really early project and they're just like, as, in terms of teams, I think they are the, the coolest team creating NFT. And we got, that's a ringing endorsement, buddy. We will definitely hit you up and try to talk with them. Let's go to question four. What is the most recent thing you sold? I sold a Tesla last year. I think that was pretty recent. Yeah, yeah it was right. down. I just bought a new Tesla. It was a second Tesla. It was sitting in my garage, lost like 12 grand on it in a month. Like, this is stupid. No, not going outside. <sighs> Sold it, put the money into Ethereum, made that money back in a second. Oh, there you go. Our friend Bessa is working on a collab with some artists and they're actually NFTing custom Teslas with custom skins on top of them. So, so you could actually... for another one. Yeah, there you go. So something to do after this big drop. Next okay, time you nice. want to get rid of a Tesla, you can give it to me though. <laughs> Call right. me up though. Nice. Question five. What is your most prized possession? Actually, I know what it is. I'm going to show you. I knew it would be back there. Nice. <laughs> Can you see this? Now we got to say for the list, the listener here, what's going on. Uh, let me pin this real quick. Yes. Yeah, so so it's, like it's a photo. There's like a tablecloth that's checkered. It's a bunch of kids. That's like a show with Alfalfa and... and Spanky uh, and the gang. Spanky and the gang. Yeah, yeah. So this is an original invite to a club called The Loft, which was a party that started in 1965 in New York. A guy called David Mancuso started it. It's the, the music he played there came to be known as disco. The way he designed the sound design, the speakers, like tweeters hanging from the ceiling, bass in the floor, is the way big club sound systems are still designed. He started the first record pool. Is this... This guy, David, he was like a genius. And this club, he gave me this invite. He was someone I became friendly with in, in New York, interviewed him for my book. But he was just like the most complete creative genius I ever met. He did more for music than, you know, he's up there with like Chuck Berry and Elvis and Beatles from me. He passed away in 2016, but that's the, he gave me an original invite to the loft and his story is amazing anyway. Oh, it sounds really like cool. an amazing story. That's very cool. Question number six, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, a service, and experience, it's currently for sale. What would that be? I don't know. That's a really good question. I think you get like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I got to a point in life when I can buy most of the things that I would ever want and they don't really make you that happy. Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's, it's only temporary. And I think one of the things I like about NFTs is that they make everything very surface on that level. It's, if there's no t- tangible physical thing, you just have to think about how the experience makes you feel. And I think that's why people will struggle to get their head around. Like, why would anyone ever buy a J? It's not a real thing. And it's like, well, nothing you buy is a real thing. And you buy a luxury handbag, the most satisfaction you get from it is the moment you hand someone your credit card. And then law of diminishing returns kicks in. Like, it doesn't matter. Every single physical thing that we buy is meaningless to us. Uh, to some extent or another. I do love driving Teslas. Like there's certain things I do like. Um, <laughs> I do like records, you know, but 
it doesn't really matter. And I hope that one of the things that NFTs do is help, like on a cultural level, just help us understand what makes us tick and maybe, maybe get us to think about the things that make us tick and why we let those things make us tick. I think we need to coin a new word. Maybe somebody else already has, but dematerial, what would it be like dematerialist, right? Like, so you, people are materialists, mm-hmm. right? But it, I feel like it, it fits really mm-hmm. well with this decentralized, the de-everything, dematerialist is sort of a different type of This whole, this collector. whole environmental impact of NFTs thing, right? Like it's the public's perception of NFTs is that they are bad for the environment. Solutions like Palm, obviously 99% more efficient. ETH2 is going to make that kind of standard. But that's not the impact NFTs are going to have on the environment. NFTs are going to take happy meals out of the equation, happy meal toys, like all the things, all the like pointless bits of plastic, all of that stuff I hope will go if NFTs scale. And that's the environmental impact of NFTs. And then beyond that, once we start, like once, like my kids two and four, I buy them happy meal toys because it shuts them up for a few hours on a Sunday afternoon. But once that happy meal toy is an NFT, and once they can stake that Happy Meal toy and then it starts earning other Happy Meal toys, by the time they're ready to open a bank account, they're going to be saying, well, why can't, tell me about staking on my bank account. Like the levels of financial literacy and the positive environmental impact of NFTs, I think that culturally they're going to have such a huge impact on the next generation in, in a really, really positive way in both those fronts. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of stuff that gets missed in the whole environmental discussion, isn't it? Let's go to question seven. It relates to a lot of what we were just talking about. And that is, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? I don't know. I'm probably a better question for my wife, or I don't know if she could be a good answer either. I think that's like some therapy stuff, man. That's good. <laughs> on a good day, I have an ability to roll with the punches, but I think it helps me. And it's just like, you know what? Like my dad actually said, said the best of me once. It's just like, just pretend it's all a game. When something's not going yeah. well, just like step out of there a little bit. And that definitely helps on the data. I just watched The Matrix the other day. It's been a crazy week and that was helpful. <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, let's do the flip side. Maybe easier. I don't know. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Oh my God, we need another hour on that. That, that I can know. <laughs> I think pessimism or to err on the sort of side of negative thinking is definitely... Mm something deep in my core that I don't always notice. And then it helps. Like I have to like meditate and journal a lot start the day to stop myself going there, I think, or and just staying mindful of, no, I'm like, everything's good. Everything's going to be all right. Like staying in there. Yeah, man. But good to be self-aware about that. You know, so important. Yeah. You said you almost gave up on NFTs right when it was yeah, no, exactly, time exactly. to get into it. <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly like I'm a worst enemy on stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. All right, a little bit easier. Question nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was talking to our CTO and some folks from DC Comics about the drop tomorrow. And I've actually got to go on another call with them all right now. I know, we got to let you go. Question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? <laughs> Easy. Yeah, I'm going to go and talk to the teams here about, about everything we're doing tomorrow. But yeah, you know what? It was good, good to talk and I'm just going to stay mindful of the fact that we're all really lucky to be here in this moment. You know, I think yeah. it's... If you're into NFTs right now, it's just, it's just a magical time. Agreed wholeheartedly. We, we always like to say later than some, but earlier than most, right? I think that applies here. Thanks so much for sharing all that with us, man. It's really special and, uh, and yeah, we do appreciate it. I think we're going to wrap this section and then we'll continue on with hot topics. But I think, Ethan, we did have a quick teaser if that works for you, Matt. And yeah. I guess before we hit that, just real quick, where can go folks go to learn more about everything you're working on and follow all the amazing stuff that Palm NFT Studio is doing? Palm.io. Okay. Perfect. Beautiful. Uh, Quick and easy. <laughs> yep. That's great. And Matt, I guess we're working with you and your team on some kind of fun contest together. We'll, we, we don't know the exact timing yet. We've got a big drop focus today, but we'll share those details with our listeners. Okay. Thank you for doing that with us. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, let's head on over to Hot Topics. Are you ready, guys? Let's do it. Hi, beautiful. What's so first the first the is that Jeff seems to be growing some sort of beard. Jeff, is it <laughs> going to be winter? What's the backstory there? Is Florida getting a little toasty? I think the real question is, where have you been? Because <laughs> I haven't had it the last few weeks, but it comes and goes. I shave it and then it comes back in a week and then I shave it. Yeah. It varies. Just like the NFT market. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. Goes away, it goes right It's back. very volatile. The growth curve is very volatile. 
The next hot topic is that Josh Krieger is developing prosopagnosia, which is the medical term for the ability, the inability to recognize faces. (laughs) (laughs) Man, sometimes I'm excited to have a neuroscientist as the the co-host, and sometimes I just wish that wasn't this case. (laughs) Is there a name for that too? Yeah, it sounds like ah. this week's hot topics is just riffing. <laughs> Hold on. I did enjoy, though, we did have the, the Chicago conversation that was uh, part of our, our Dapper Labs combo, right? Which is a little bit more outside of the scope of our agenda or whatever for the show. And I thought it was nice. It was nice to talk about some other stuff, right? Tangential to the show. You were connected with Mickey Maher about that. Oh, yeah, Totally. That's always yeah, fun. And, and we're open, guys. If you guys have ideas for other content, let us know. I think we want to we want to share some of the fan mail that we get and some of the ratings and reviews that you guys have kindly left us. So definitely, you might actually appear on a future show. Just drop us a rating review on iTunes. We really appreciate those. And uh, yeah, Hot Topics is actually one of our many formats that we're considering is sort of we uh, mix it up and adapt just like the market that we're talking about. This oh, is what yeah. happens when you, when the, the host, uh, sorry, the guest leaves and Things there's get, uh, no time limit. Let's get off the rails, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, on the same topic of off the rails, <laughs> yes, to the listener who's listening right now, we did allude to it yet again in the show. We've got our own NFT drop coming up here and that should be exciting. That's going to be provide lots of wonderful ways for you to grow and change with us and provide us with input and feedback for the long and distant future development of this podcast and everything that it will uh, evolve into. All right, first hot topic, NFLPA and Dapper Labs announced new NFT deal to create exclusive digital video highlights. Hmm, exclusive digital video highlights. I've never heard of anything like this before. I wonder what it's, I wonder, <laughs> wonder where this idea came from. <laughs> They referred to it though, guys. We got the nod to it from, well, from Mickey, right? In our episode 50, the special episode. And this was part of the big news that they were releasing, NFLPA, who, you know, Josh and I work with a little bit on licensing. I remember talking to them, it was almost three years ago about digital collectibles and they were happy to to give licenses. However, at the time, nobody really knew what NFTs were. It wasn't particularly valuable, but, but we did have that lined up, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is exciting. And if you guys listen to our episode with Dapper Labs, Mickey really, really wanted to say more, but the publicity <laughs> team has taught him well. So this was the big news that was right on the cusp of our previous show. And as I mentioned earlier, as if the NBA isn't enough, I think we've all seen the potential of NFL from a collectibles perspective digitally. It is sort of, I would say, more America's pastime these days than baseball. And there's so many special moments in a game, particularly when Tom Brady is part of that game. For those of you that have been following my love affair with Tom Brady, I finally did see him in person at the Sophie Stadium in L.A. this past week playing against the Rams. And he had a great game. He didn't win, but he had a great game. Back to the topic at hand. Super, super cool announcement. I'm going to definitely be participating in this project. Yeah. And it was on some of our early episodes. I think it was like Justin Wu or something was talking about this very thing happening, right? Not necessarily with Dapp or whatever, but these predicting sort of like these waves of different things coming into the NFT scene. You know, we had the NBA Top Shots, we had various collectibles and the Ford 8 Yacht Club, right? And he kind of foresaw, okay, well, the NFL is going to be in there at some point when the season gets started and, and people get excited about that. So, yeah. And then let me just say one other interesting thing they did as far as a drop was they announced the 2005, 2006 NBA moments that they're going to be doing. So it's the first, I think, legit large scale nostalgia kind of throwback driven mm. set of NFTs, at least for Dapper Labs. And to me, I talk about it all the time, like that is is the essence of so many collectibles and the physical realm, things like baseball cards, right? And so I'm excited to see that stuff too. It's like, you know, D Wade stuff and like really cool Kobe stuff, like really going to be fun to see what they do there. Awesome. Let's hit the next hot topic. Epic CEO has bad news. If you were hoping to see Fortnite NFTs. Okay. We were all scratching our heads on this one. So on Monday, Tim Sweeney tweeted that Epic isn't touching NFTs in a public response 
to what was presumably an NFT pitch. He cites the space's problem with scams as the reason for his hesitancy, which sparked some discussion in the comments, as strong statements about crypto tend to do. Sweeney has since clarified his views on NFTs a little, saying that to him, owning an NFT is about as valuable as liking an image on Twitter and calling into question whether NFT ownership is actually non-fungible. Yeah, so gaming, what, just comes up over and over and over again. And, you know, we've seen how, uh, you know, Animoca Brands has been in this for a while and investing and in even projects like Dapper and anybody that's in gaming and collaborating with NFTs seems like they're on the right track as far as our perspective goes. So this is very surprising, right? Dude, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Go ahead, Josh. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, so I just found an article back in January. He was saying the same thing. So what's fascinating to me is that so much has happened in the NFT space with gaming since January. We have the CEO of Alien Worlds coming on the show. We have Star Atlas coming on the show. There's incredible stuff happening with pay to earn gaming. There's scholarship students around the world. I talked to someone recently that said that their child wants to be a professional video gamer and now sees a future for this possibility to say that the scams prevent innovation. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's scams, but there's been scams in every versioning industry in the world. And, and I just don't know if we have more scams per capita in NFTs and other industries. I haven't seen any data to tell me that. Yeah, I was missing the boat and I don't understand. It reminds me of all the investment banks that were a few years ago saying, we're never getting into crypto. It's a scam, blah, 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 blah. You know, who are some of the biggest holders of crypto bags right now? Huge investment banks and, and big institutional investors across the board, right? Yeah, I don't know, be sandbagging or something. I had to look to see, is this some kind of Onion article or something? Like, what am I reading? I seriously, I don't get it. It reminds me of the stories you hear about the board meetings at Blockbuster saying that uh, <laughs> the people are here because they, they like running into neighbors. So, you know, this is, you know, Netflix is an afterthought. Like, forget about those guys, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, what to me, it's a massive mistake. And he's going to either regret it and be gone, <laughs> right? Or regret it and pivot. It's one of those two outcomes, I think, on this thing, because it is so important to the gaming space. It's so important to the next evolution of technology, period, worldwide. So to me, it's just a big miss. Yeah. Well, good news is reality is very forgiving if you shift into the correct direction, right? So the sooner the better in his case. I remember coming across something recently that people who have a very strong opinion about something when they find evidence or are presented with evidence that is very strong to the contrary, it actually makes them dig in harder on their existing opinion to have like a very strong counter argument. So maybe he's, that's what's going on. I don't know. could apply to my like optimism about NFTs there too. There you though, go. So. There you go. <laughs> it applies to all of us. Anyways, NFTs are good for bringing non-crypto users on board, says Metaplex CEO. That's our, our next headline. Metaplex Studios recently announced it had appointed Adam Jeffries as the chief executive officer of a new organization formed to help onboard numerous artists onto its NFT platform. The Solana-powered on-chain protocol for minting and auctioning NFTs chose Jeffries to lead the charge for advancing the functionality of tools that will enable creators to easily manage their NFT businesses. So what do we think about this one? We talked a little bit about it, I think, in the last episode or a couple episodes ago, where when you look at just pure like IP driven NFTs, so the profile picture NFTs, PFPs that don't have additional utility, right? if you just look at those, and there's a ton of those out there, the meta utility of that is bringing people into the space and having fun, making it fun and energetic in a way that, that some utility-based NFTs maybe couldn't do on their own, right? There's some fun use cases like V friends and, and all the stuff that comes with what Gary V is doing. Lots of utility there, you know, but getting your car registration uh, in the form of an NFT isn't that sexy. It's probably not going to bring a ton of people into the space. You're getting me excited, right? See, <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's a meta utility there, you know, for these really fun projects. And the utility is to bring people into the space, make it fun Definitely. and interesting and bring people into this space. It's world changing. Definitely. It's been the bane of nerds throughout history, right? <laughs> that they get excited naturally about something technical 
be it matrix calculus or whatever. <laughs> and then, it, you know, it's hard to, hard to kind of convince everybody else about what's so exciting about it. And the truth is it, for human beings, fun is always going to help them really get into something. There's a reason that they have free pizza or bagels or whatever at open lecture talks, you know, at the university or something like that. So I think I totally agree with you, Jeff. And I look at people like Elon Musk and I don't know that I don't hear him explicitly stating this, right? But I almost feel like he's got to have either a very subconsciously ingrained principle or a very intentional principle that he knows people got to sort of have fun with stuff if they're really going to get on board, right? If what people want to drive an electric car, they're not going to do it just because it's practical or the right thing to do. They want to do it because it they have fun doing it, right? Exactly. That's exactly it. And then people that get that, I think, are, uh, you know, they're the ones leading the charge and uh, blazing new trails. Yeah. All right. So maybe we got to invite Epic CEO to some kind of party that... <laughs> <laughs> they could get him more excited about it. I'm telling you, man, you he's figure out what, what bag, tickles buddy. his fancy. <laughs> Do a battle with that CEO and the CEO Star Atlas. See how that goes. <laughs> yeah, get him. Yeah. You could have some them both playing some video game, doing some like esports tournament. That there you go. Put him in an elevator with Gary V for 30 seconds, man. Come on, he's sold. <laughs> there you go. All nice. right, cool. Well, that's pretty much hot topics. Was there anything else you guys wanted to spill into yeah. hot topics? We get. No, I think we're good. That's good stuff. A lot of fun things happening right now. Um, Other, um, oh, sorry. Next hot topic. I do need a haircut. Look out for yeah. a haircut <laughs> from Ethan in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Just one thing for those of you that are sort of itching for a little bit in real life action. We will be at NFT Con in New York on November 1st through the 4th. And then we'll also be at Dreamverse in New York on November 4th. So give us a shout if you'll be in town. It'd be great to meet you. And then we'll be moving on to Miami for the Crypto Experience, November 12th through the 14th. And then to Decentral Con in uh, November 30th and then December 1st. So all uh, really cool events in the industry. So if you want to join the roadshow, we'll be kicking back, probably having some monster to uh, keep up with all the action and interviewing some of the, the leaders in this space and uh, be great to say hi to some of our listeners along the way. So drop us a note if you're coming to any of those events. Indeed. Most definitely. All right, guys. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. Al, go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Want to help co-create Edge of NFT with us? Got guests you want to see on the episode? Questions for hosts or guests? An NFT you'd like us to review? Drop us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft to get in the mix. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.